In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Earlier this week, uh, a group of the staff decided that we were going to formation schedule going forward. We've kind of been, at least since I've got here because of the pandemic, we've been kind of selecting a book at a time and waiting until about a week or two before that book was ending and then going, okay, well, what next? And other things have kind of gotten fine-tuned, and so we turned our attention to the formation schedule, and we wanted to make a plan for the next four to six months, and so we gathered together uh, in the morning, and we scheduled about an hour. And before you knew it, it had been an hour and a half, and we were up against our next meeting, and we hadn't discussed all the things that we needed to discuss, and so I asked them if they could gather together later on in the afternoon so that we could continue this discussion. By the end of the day, we had met close to three hours, and we still didn't discuss all of the things that we needed to. Turns out there's a lot to talk, there's a lot about discipleship that we need to talk about, and it's hard to make a plan for four or six months, and especially when so many people have so many different good ideas, but as I walked away from the meeting the other day, the question that stuck in my mind, the one that I keep thinking about, was we were asking ourselves, do we need to just get to the Scripture more, like read a book, like pick Ephesians and go, we're just going to spend some time here, or do we need to pick curriculum and books that can help us see and apply the Scripture to our particular context? I think a part of me, maybe some PTS from my, my past told me that I really preferred to have curriculum. I, I needed something to help me connect to the current uh, place that I'm in. I, I, I need something to help me make that practical step from just reading the scriptures to actually applying them. Because in the church that I grew up in, we, gosh, we knew the scriptures. We memorized them. We had tests where we would go and we would recite back these passages that we had learned. And we knew the stories, and we knew where they happened, and we knew the characters' names. And after a while, it felt like I had so much biblical knowledge that it was spilling out over me. And when I arrived at the Episcopal Church, I found that not everyone in the Episcopal Church had learned the Bible quite that way. But what was interesting, as I look back on the first 20 to 24 to 25 years of my life, the struggle that my community had was actually applying the Scriptures to our current context. We knew the stories, we knew the context that they happened in, we knew all the characters and all of their names, all the funny spellings. I remember a guy used to brag that he not only knew all the scripture, but he knew the punctuation too. I doubt that was true, but that was how deeply they felt the desire. And so for me, there was a step that we had missed, and I think for us, it is maybe one of the most important steps, because if we internalize all of these stories and we learn them and we can, can we, we can recite them, but we can never actually apply them to our lives, what in the world are we doing? We're just a book club. We're just a book club that gets together and reads passages and discusses them, our opinions on them at the time, but we don't really know how to apply them. But what's interesting is the gospel passage that we've read this morning is unique. I was hard-pressed to find another passage. I'm sure there is one, but I'm hard-pressed to find another passage that is quite like this one because Jesus is in the midst of knowing that his life is about to come to an end. The Last Supper has taken place in John 13, so four chapters ago, and he has begun what, what scholars call the farewell discourse. And for four chapters, he begins to tell them all of the things that he needs them to know before he leaves. 
And we get to chapter 17, and he begins to give the high priestly prayer. In other words, he is praying the longest prayer that we have of Jesus recorded in the scriptures. And it's one of those prayers where he's talking to God, but he's saying a lot about the people who are in the room. (laughs) You ever prayed, and you were like, okay, this is for God, but I hope so-and-so over here hears this. And so Jesus is praying, and it is though he is looking beyond the horizon of his earthly life, and he is looking to the ministry of the disciples and even beyond to the church that will come after them. And this is a moment where Jesus is literally speaking directly to you and I. And all of the people who will ever inhabit the church, Jesus is saying, this is how it should be. This is my desire. This is my will for the church. And Jesus begins this prayer by saying, now at this moment, these people know that the things that I have taught them, these lessons that they have learned, these are from you, God. They weren't just from me. And I couldn't help but laugh as I read this because these people have been with Jesus, these disciples, for three years. They've walked beside him, they've traveled with him, they've stayed with him, they've listened to every sermon he's ever preached. They've watched the miracles occur. Like, they have a deeper dive into the life of Jesus than any of us will ever have. And yet, three years later, Jesus is now saying, now in this moment, they know everything that they need to know. They have verified their sources. They truly believe. And the big takeaway for me is that relationship is important. People try to tell us the truth all of the time. People are always trying to sell us something about what this life is about. From TV and billboards to magazines, everyone is trying to sell us on their particular cure-all. But it really takes knowing someone and seeing the message lived out to know that it is the truth. And it's why I listen to the people who I've spent time with and who have earned the right in my life to be heard long before I ever listen to a billboard or a commercial or some marketing campaign trying to tell me what life is truly about. And so it's important for us as a community to be together, to read together, to discuss together, because we need to know that the message that you are hearing from this pulpit and in formation classes and in the newsletter is actually from God and not just so-and-so's opinion, or at least as close as we can get to it. Jesus goes on to say that he will no longer be in the world, but the disciples, they are going to remain in the world, and you and I, we are going to be in the world. And he prays for their protection. And we do this every week. And maybe you've never paid attention, but maybe you will today, or maybe you hear it every week, but when we pray the Eucharistic prayer together, we, bl- we pray that God will not only sanctify the elements, the bread and the wine, but we pray that God will also sanctify you and I. And that God will unify us together. Because if you've got a million different people trying to do a million different things, there is absolutely no strength, power, or influence. It really takes communities coming together around a singular cause. And we come here on Sunday and we get fixated on a particular thing and we really get unified and then we go out and we get distracted. And we get distracted by a million different things. Our own desires, our own anxiety, our own fear, whatever's going on on the news. And we begin to drift away from the unity that we can have as the church. And it's the reason that we have to come back here each Sunday and gather back around this table and be reminded of the message so that we can be the body of Christ in the world Because the historical Jesus is not here with us. 
But the church is here, and we are the hands and feet and face of Christ in the world. And so if the world is struggling to believe in Jesus, it's because we are not doing a good job of showing them who Jesus actually is. Jesus then says that this message that he's given them, he wants to give his disciples his joy. And this goes back to relationship. I I was sharing this with the staff two weeks ago, but one of my favorite passages from C.S. Lewis is when he talks about how we complete our joy. And he he gives the description of a person on a, a, a beach and looking out at the shoreline and seeing a beautiful sunset and going, wow, that is absolutely beautiful. And then Lewis says that this person's joy is only partial or partially complete at that time because it is singular, it's, it's contained in one person. But the moment that person's joy is complete is when they walk over to Priscilla and they go, you gotta, I, I gotta tell you about this sunset. Jesus has shown us how to do that because when he came here, he didn't just go from random place to random place, but he built relationships with people. He knew the people that he spent time with. He shared his joy, and he expects us to pass along that joy to other people, which requires us to not just stay in these four, not really four walls, but however many walls there are in a circular building, it requires us to get out of this place and to spread that joy and that love, that message of hope with every single person that we encounter. I received a phone call earlier this week from a friend back home in in Florida. They were telling me about the gas shortages in in that part of the world, and we were having a conversation, and towards the end of the call, I could tell that there was some anxiety in their voice, and they began to tell me that darker days were coming, and this was just the beginning of much worse things that were about to happen, and they didn't say these exact words, but it, it sounded to me as though, for them, it seemed as though the world was ending. And I remember what that was like to grow up in a church and in a community where our eschatology, our worldview, our theology about how things might end was just this constant dire threat, this anxiety machine constantly telling us that things could change and end all of a sudden. But what's interesting is when Jesus prays for his disciples and when he looks beyond the horizon of his own life and he looks into our future as the church He does not pray about the world ending, but he prays about a new beginning. He prays about hope for a future. He prays for protection for those of us who will go out and carry this message. He prays for us to be unified, to be sanctified, to be his body in the world. He prays for us to share joy, and not just partial joy hoarded to ourselves, but complete joy shared with others. And so, my friends, on this final Sunday of Easter, I just want to tell you that the end is not near, but a new beginning is near, and you and I can choose to participate in it. But we must pick up the message of Jesus, and we must carry it to all of those who we meet. Amen.